Welcome to the Kansas Reflector. I'm reporter Tim Carpenter, and our special guest today is Governor Laura Kelly. She requires little introduction, but here are a few nuts and bolts. She's a Democrat. She campaigns as a centrist. She's a former senator from Topeka and was elected governor in 2018 and re-elected in 2022. Thanks for being here, Governor. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, So I want to start by asking about your effort to launch a political action committee. And I presume it's designed to elect more moderate candidates, people perhaps like yourself. That's exactly what it's designed to do. Uh, We're calling it, as a matter of fact, middle of the road pack. Uh, And it is a bipartisan effort uh, to uh, elect moderates uh, to both the House uh, and the Senate here in Topeka. Mm -hmm. And so just to explain to people, uh, why is this necessary, do you feel? Well, you know, uh, I've been in office now for four, nearly four years, or five years, and uh, we've been able to get some amazing things done. You know, we um, were able to fully fund our schools. Uh, we've been able to put together a bipartisan uh, long-range transportation plan. Uh, we've been able to build our economy uh, record-breaking speed. Uh, been able to do a lot of good things, uh, but there have also been some things that we've not been able to get done, uh, and probably most prominently, Medicaid expansion. Uh, and the reason we haven't been able to get that done is because we have not been able to break through uh, the supermajority or the leadership uh, in the uh, Kansas House and the Kansas Senate. Uh, so in order to continue uh, to push forward policies that I believe uh, most Kansans agree with, uh, I think anywhere between 70 to 80 percent of people want Medicaid expansion, uh, it's going to be absolutely necessary for us to break that supermajority uh, in the House and the Senate uh, and send a very loud message to leadership uh, that they need to give their caucuses an opportunity to vote for Medicaid expansion. Could you envision endorsing Democrats as well as Republicans? Oh, we'll be doing both. Uh, Yes. I mean, we really are focused on moderates. I mean, if you... You might even remember when I did come into the state Senate, um, there were a number of moderate Republicans, Mm -hmm, and I worked very closely with the moderate Republicans to get uh, a lot of good things done. Uh, And we need to be able to get back to uh, that kind of operation within the state legislature. Uh, Right now, we've got a state legislature uh, that really does not reflect uh, the vast majority of Kansans' values, uh, and we need to ensure that it does. On that point, I can see polling done by Fort Hayes that would suggest as much that the legislature is out of step with General Kansans. But you could also see that in the uh, constitutional amendment vote where the legislature, by two-thirds majority, put that amendment on the ballot. And by a landslide margin, Kansas voters rejected it. They did. I mean, it was nearly 60 percent. And you know, what's even more remarkable about that is that that was on the primary ballot. You know, a primary ballot in Kansas is usually nobody goes to vote uh, in primaries except for uh, usually the rather conservative wing of the Republican Party. Uh, Democrats generally don't vote in primaries because they often don't have any primary mm-hmm. elections, mm-hmm. and independents can't vote uh, because they're not affiliated with a party. So I think the fact that uh, it not only the fact that it was 59% of Kansans, but the fact that it was 59% of Kansans during a primary right. was astounding. Well, while I mentioned, brought it up, the uh, constitutional amendment vote, 
there was a there was a decent representation of youth voting in that August primary uh, on abortion rights. And I think there was a dip in the number of people 18 to 29 that then subsequently voted in the November general election. Do you have ideas about how to draw more youth voters in? Because I certainly think they may be underrepresented in the in the voting uh, population. Well, I think <clears throat> the groups, uh, the advocacy groups for the vote no um, uh, on the uh, um, constitutional amendment uh, were extraordinarily good at both messaging uh, so that young people understood the issue and how much it would impact them, uh, that they were able to drive out uh, the youth vote. I think we need to take that same idea and turn it around during uh, general elections, and particularly as we're going into 2024. I think we need to learn from uh, what happened with that constitutional amendment and put it into practice. And this ties back to the uh, formation of the State Political Action Committee and youth vote. The issues that might be that youth might be drawn to could include abortion, but LGBTQ rights, education, taxes. There's just different things that the youth vote could be excited about, maybe if they were informed in the right manner. Yeah, and I think I think you're right, Tim. There are a lot of issues that are of great importance to the younger generation, and I think it's just imperative uh, that we. Uh, work with our candidates to ensure that they are talking to those younger voters and uh, really making it clear to them uh, why there's so much at stake for them and why they need to come out. One final thing about opinion. the pack. I'm sorry, I interrupted. One final thing about the pack. You wouldn't be breaking new ground, I don't think. I think other governors have had PACs, correct? I haven't really looked into it, but I'm sure that they have, yes. I think they did. I believe Kathleen Sebelius had one. But, but yeah. Um, Interesting. All right. So we're now about a hodgepodge of issues, if you don't mind. Um, you spend a lot of your time highlighting economic development in Kansas. And I'm wondering if you're apprehensive about some of the members of the legislature uh, thinking about withdrawing, perhaps, an administration's power to hand out these incentives. You know, Panasonic, a big major project in eastern Kansas. There's hundreds of millions of dollars in, in Kansas incentives there, along with the federal so do you think a, a, a governor is more uh, uh, nimble in terms of dealing with these kind of incentives, in terms of the open marketplace like that, or do you think more legislative insight would be useful? Well, remember, uh, Tim, that the way that we were able to attract Panasonic was that we did get bipartisan support in the legislature uh, for the Apex bill, <clears throat> which allowed us to pursue two of these mega projects projects that would bring in more than a billion dollars in capital investment. Panasonic was $4 billion. Uh, so we have used that up, uh, and we did go back to the legislature uh, last session uh, to have them take a look at, at um, something like the Apex bill with some tweaking, but that would allow us to continue to pursue uh, some uh, projects that you know, would never consider Kansas otherwise. Uh, we were not able to get that through, but we will continue down that path. Um, I think as we uh, experience so much economic development success, uh, we're getting recognized you know, with award after award from uh, national groups. Uh, I think more and more legislators are coming on board and understanding um, that you, you've got to be nimble. Uh, you've got to be quick uh, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're going to compete 
in this very competitive world. Uh, so we will we'll continue to work with them. I think a lot of it is just education uh, and, and then results, uh, giving them the reassurance that they're not being um, you know, taken for a ride. Right. Um, well, let's talk about some of your new colleagues that you brought into the administration. There's a new superintendent of the Kansas Highway Patrol, Eric Smith, uh, brought in from uh, the federal government. Um, and so I believe the DEA, if I'm not He if I'm was with the Drug Enforcement Administration, okay. yes. And so uh, what do you think of that hire? I'm absolutely thrilled uh, that uh, we were able to attract uh, somebody of the caliber of Eric Smith uh, to run uh, our highway patrol. You know, he's, he's a native Kansan, uh, which uh, you know, was, was one of the reasons that he was sitting at the table interviewing was because he was interested in coming back to Kansas. But, you know, he's got law enforcement experience right here uh, in the Sunflower State, and I think that's important, uh, particularly important, and he's been accepted, you know, into a role like this. Uh, so, you know, and then his professional experience uh, really gives him a perspective uh, on law enforcement administration um, and what works and what doesn't work in it. Um, he understands law enforcement culture. Uh, he understands law enforcement values, and I think he'll be able to work with you know our rank and file uh, and with our. Uh, leaders within the, our law enforcement community, you know, both in the KHP, but then also out with the Attorney General's office, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. I think his credentials uh, and his um, his way of operating uh, are very attractive and very inclusive. And I think he's he'll be well accepted, and I think he'll produce some great results. I think he started in Sedgwick County in law enforcement, mm -hmm. and then kind of rose through the ranks of of the DEA. But he is a you could call him an outsider, I presume, uh, but somebody, you know, fresh eyes on the Kansas Highway Patrol, which might be, this might be an opportune moment for that. I think I think he's the best of both worlds. He's both a native Kansan, so an insider, but then, yes, he brings some other perspective uh, to the state. And I think that's always um, a... Well, I can say it's always great uh, to have an outside perspective, but I think in the case of uh, an agency like the Highway Patrol, bringing that outside perspective uh, is helpful uh, because there are lots of, you know, law enforcement's been under the spotlight a lot uh, in the last um, decade or so, uh, in, including here in the state of Kansas. So I think somebody who's been on the outside looking in can see what's going on in Kansas uh, and, and but knows what's going on elsewhere and might be able to bring some of those best practices into our state. You've nominated Calvin Reed, who uh, is a, essentially started as a bridge engineer at the Kansas Department of Transportation, and he also rose through the ranks, worked a little bit of time in Wichita in the private sector, but you've nominated him to be Secretary of KDOT, a major job given that you're in the middle of a massive, massive highway improvement program. Well, you know, we elevated um, Secretary Reed when... Uh, the former secretary, Lorenz, um, retired or left uh, the agency to go back into the private sector. Uh, and, you know, th I think he thought, we thought that that would be an interim uh, and we would search and we would bring in somebody else. But 
Calvin Reed really proved himself during that interim uh, that he um, he was up to the job, uh, was good at the job, and was very well respected uh, within the industry. And so uh, sort of became a slam dunk uh, to just hire from within. Senate confirmation committee, there seemed to be bipartisan support for him and uh, a relationship that those senators felt like they had with him. Yeah, I think I think he does have a lot of trust uh, amongst uh, the legislature, and that clearly is very important when you're dealing with an agency as large um, and as much at stake as, as Kate. The legislature spent a lot of time on LGBTQ issues in the 2023 session, some of it extremely controversial. And uh, there's the attorney generals involved in some litigation about driver's licenses and birth certificates. I wanted to more generally ask you a question about your constituents, trans people and others, who are observing this wrangling that's going on in Topeka. And um, I I would imagine they're quite concerned. There would be people that are moving, for example, to a state that might be more hospitable to them and, and the way they live their lives. Do you have any thoughts about this big picture as it as it relates on to individuals? Well, this is nothing new. I mean, we we were talking about this issue back when I was running for governor in 2018 uh, because we had seen what happened in states uh, who passed really anti uh, LGBTQ legislation. I mean, my case in point is North Carolina when they passed the bathroom uh, bill. Uh, overnight, they lost $400 million in convention business. Uh, and, Ouch. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think they've calculated how much they lost in uh, capital investment uh, that was on its way to North Carolina and then decided uh, maybe uh, not. Uh, and, in fact, the impact was so bad uh, and so immediate that the North Carolina legislature came back the next year and repealed that bill. So, uh, you know, I, I would hope that my Kansas legislative colleagues can learn from that. And, and while I know, you know, people have their own personal opinions uh, about uh, issues related to LGBTQ, uh, that they would look out for not only the best interests of, of those, the LGBTQ community, but also the best interests of Kansas, uh, you know, that... Um, you know, we we have been making great strides in economic development. Uh, if we start being seen again as an exclusive um, state, uh, that could change. I'll ask you this question. I asked Attorney General Chris Kobach the identical question, and that is, many times in the Capitol you have particularly Republicans, but also Democrats, who would say that parents are the best at deciding how to educate your kids, how, what kind of religious education those, individ- those children have as well. But there does seem to be a line here where parents no longer have the best idea for how to raise their kids. And the LGBTQ issue is an, is an example of that. Uh, you know, gender affirmation surgery and things like this. This is an example where the people who say parents know best have now decided that legislators know best. And, and Chris Kobach did not have a great answer for it. Um, he, I think he acknowledged there is a bit of a conflict there ideologically. So do you have any thoughts about how the legislature seems to be heading in two different directions? Well, I feel about the uh, gender-affirming care 
uh, the same point I do about women's reproductive rights, uh, that these are private medical decisions uh, that should be made within the confines of the family and the physician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some conservatives want to let people take care of their own lives and make their own decisions right up until the point where they start reading from the list of ways in which they want to tell folks how to live. One final thing before we wrap up here, a large number of people joined Medicaid, the CanCare program in Kansas during the COVID-19 pandemic. People who were eligible for the program were placed in it and received benefits through uh, Medicaid. And they weren't booted from CanCare during the pandemic. But in April, the federal government says, okay, now we're gonna apply eligibility criteria again. So the state of Kansas and everybody, every other state has been in a process of going through these, uh, these massive lists of hundreds of thousands of people, finding out who's eligible and who isn't. And so there's been a, a it might be a hiccup, not unique to Kansas, in which thousands of people are removed from the benefits because of procedural problems with the applications. And they're not filled out right, or they don't. They lack information. I'm really not sure. Do you, do you know much about what's going on here and why Kansas and others might be struggling? Yeah, I actually just got a briefing uh, yesterday from uh, my Secretary of Health Environment and my Deputy Director for Medicaid. Um, so I have a pretty good idea about what's going on. A, a lot of what you've read um, in reports has been... a bit exaggerated. Uh, it's it's not nearly the extent uh, that has been reported. Uh, but, you know, there are people who are being sort of knocked off the Medicaid uh, rolls, some because they just no longer meet the criteria. Uh, the criteria was a little more flexible during the pandemic. That, that flexibility is gone. Uh, so those folks are no longer eligible. If we would expand Medicaid, they might be eligible again. So uh, I'll throw that in. Correct. Um, but and then there are those who uh, are getting uh, knocked off uh, for procedural uh, reasons. When we realized there was a problem uh, with the post office uh, not getting notices to folks. Uh, in a timely manner, we did extend uh, the window that they had to return the materials. But even with all of that, even with all of the work that uh, the agency has been doing with, you know, our community mental health centers, our uh, safety net clinics, you know, and other advocacy groups across the state, inevitably there will be people who will not get the materials back in um, at all. And they, we have no choice in that case but to take them off the rolls. So some uh, people who might otherwise be eligible are going to be excluded right. under this. We're, I just wonder if some of the some people that are responsible for applying for this find the process bewildering, about as bewildering as the application for unemployment benefits in Kansas and other states. You know, it's an on. It can be an online process and so forth. So I, I just don't know if there's more more personnel brought to bear on this issue might benefit in terms of call centers and things like that on a temporary basis or if there are other solutions. Yeah, we have we have addressed all of those issues, looking at those kinds of things. Uh, the conversation I had yesterday with the uh, Medicaid director was really what what are our community partners doing? Because, you know, 
for things like initial uh, enrollment in, in Medicaid, our community partners are vital in that. You know, they've got navigators there, so when somebody shows up at a safety net clinic and doesn't have uh, Medicaid uh, coverage, you know, they, they can help them through that process. We have also, over the years, tried to streamline that process a little mm-hmm. bit. It was... It's still cumbersome, but it was ridiculously cumbersome before. So we're, we're working I on those kinds of things. Sometimes I wonder if Republicans in office, perhaps conservatives who don't really like giving away benefits like this, having entitlements like this, that they make the process more complicated than it needs to be for a reason. Well, uh, you don't have people like that uh, in the administration anymore, so we are doing everything that we can to ensure that people who are legitimately eligible for Medicaid coverage uh, can get it and can keep it. Um, we're also you know, uh, in the process working with the uh, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, uh, really looking at ways at um, making our Medicaid program more user-friendly. Um, mm-hmm. And we've been successful in, in moving it forward so that we think it will be uh, more nimble um, as we go forward and, and more uh, comprehensive. Um, you might know that we are will be issuing uh, RFPs for the new CanCare contracts, which are Medicaid. Um, There's three providers care. now. Yeah. There could be more. Uh, I expect the there will continue to be three. Uh, just the, the, our numbers uh, make it so that three is probably the number that it will be. Uh, when we're all said and done with the RFPs. Uh, But what will be different is um, what those uh, providers will be actually offering. I think we'll be moving beyond just what people routinely think of as medical coverage into sort of coverage for some of the more social determinants of health. We'll be looking at some some issues like housing, um, you know, which transportation, things that, you know, impact somebody's health, uh, but are not, you know, a diagnosis. I think definitely acknowledge problems with people receiving benefits and so on. Unfortunately, I think we're going to have to leave it there, Governor. I want to thank Governor Laura Kelly for being with us today on the podcast, and uh, good luck with your PAC. We're going to have to follow that in the 2024 election cycle and uh, see how that works out. I look forward to it, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. 